Our reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. To just set the reading for our, uh, set the scene for our reading this morning, this is the day of Pentecost, and the Apostle Peter has just addressed a very large crowd of people after he had been filled with God's Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue. If you could have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2 as we go through it, that would be great. And I have this nifty thing. Let me see if uh, it works. Should we bow our heads and pray? Lord, we give you great thanks for the spirit that you sent 2,000 years ago that made that church come alive. And we thank you that the same spirit is with us. And we pray that as we come to this text and as we see what it means to be a living church, that you will come, help us to come alive. Help us to be the body of Christ in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know a guy recently who recently died for about 25 minutes. So he died for about 25 minutes. In the middle of a service, he, his heart, he had a rare heart uh, condition, so he started beating really fast, and it stopped beating. And he collapsed, and he had to be revived back to life. He's fine now, so I asked him a few questions about what that actually meant. And I started to think, well, how, how can you tell if somebody's really dead? What's the line between living and, and, and the, the person who's alive and the person who's dead? So um, I did what everybody would do in that situation. I looked it up on Google. Um, and I came across Wikipedia, WikiHow. Um, and this is, apparently, these are the six steps in checking to see if somebody's alive. So here we Here's number one. One, call the person's name. Are you alive? (laughs) And ask outright if the person is playing dead. Are you really dead or are you playing dead? (laughs) And thirdly, poke the person a little, it says. And then it gets a bit more serious. And it gets, check the pulse. Um, And and later, uh, check if the person's breathing and check um, if you have a handy sort of uh, uh, flashlight or something. Check to see if the pupil dilates, contracts, constricts. 
Basically, if you don't get a response, if they don't say anything, if there's no pulse, if there's no breath, you can assume that that person died. Well, unlike a person, diagnosing a church is much more difficult, I think. How, if we uh, move and we have to look for a different church, what should we be looking for? What are the marks of a living and healthy church? And what are the marks of a dying church? Well, 2,000 years ago, there was the Pentecost. God, uh, God's people came alive in a way that had never been done before. The wind blew. Remember, the wind came and filled that room. It was as if God was breathing his spirit, as if he was giving life. Um, remember, uh, to Adam, he breathed on Adam, and Adam came alive. It was as if these people who were gathered in that room came alive because of God's spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. That church was alive. Well, the question is, what did they do? What did they do afterwards? Well, this is what Luke records in chapter, uh, verses 42 and 47. And everything in between is really uh, a commentary on those verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And the rest of it is the uh, commentary. And he adds this little line in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So four things there. They devoted themselves to learning, to the apostles' teaching, to sharing of, li- uh, sharing of life, to the fellowship, and to joyful worship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and evangelism. And the Lord added to their number daily. Well, the first sign of a living church, then, is a Bible teaching and Bible learning church. A church that's devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know, one of the things that we associate with charismatic churches is strong worship and emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And we associate these conservative evangelical churches with strong teaching ministry. But the Bible makes no such distinction. Remember, this is a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what they do. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching They learn from the apostles. They learn. There's no hint of anti-intellectualism here. The spirit, uh, Jesus calls the spirit, the spirit of the truth. Spirit of truth. The spirit teaches us what is true. He gives us desires in the believers to learn more about him. And John Stott says, it's as if the Holy Spirit on that day, 2,000 years ago, opened up a school of 3,000 people with the apostles as the teachers. They teach, and people learn. And how amazing it was to be taught by the apostles. These apostles, uh, there are other apostles in the Bible in the New Testament, but these apostles seem to be set aside, set apart as the foundations of the church. Luke recognizes that in this book. Remember, Peter described, if you have your Bibles open, in chapter 2, verse 22, Luke um, says, this Jesus was a man in verse 22, uh, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles, wonders, and signs accredited Jesus to be the Son of God. It was, they were signs. They weren't just miracles for miracles' sake. They, these were miracles that proved that Jesus had authority, that Jesus was the Son of God who could teach with authority. That's what it pointed to something. This is why John calls these miracles signs, because they pointed to the identity of Jesus Christ. And look how uh, Luke describes then the apostles. It's in similar terms in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They're the same words to, uh, that describe Jesus. They, 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 they were people of wonders and signs. 
miracles. And they are not the end. They authenticated that they were the apostles set apart by Jesus Christ to continue the works of Jesus Christ, to teach with the authority of Jesus Christ. They were the apostles, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And however, it was amazing. I'm sure it, would have, it was amazing to sit under um, their feet and learn. Uh, to sit uh, uh, and learn from people who spent that time with Jesus Christ. But how do we then continue in the apostles' teaching? How do we continue? How do we devote ourselves to it? Well, the apostles' teaching is now recorded in the scripture, in the Bible. As people come to Christ, then we come to be the people of this book, the Bible. We become a people who sit under that authority that's recorded in the scripture, We are to be devoted to the thoughts of God in the scripture, so much so that we we become so familiar with God that we can think God's thoughts in our lives. This, of course, is something that we must do as a church, devoting ourselves to teaching and learning from God's word. And I hope you have noticed this in our church, that every time we come together, whether it's a prayer meeting, whether it's Kingdom Kids, Solid Rock, Revelation Warriors, Salt Links, preaching in our homes, I hope in in our one-to-ones, we open the Bible. We don't say, I'm going to say something, I'm going to teach you something. We, We say, we're going to teach something that's from the scripture. We're going to be people who's devoted to, the, uh, to, to, to learning what God had to teach us through Scripture. Last year, about this time, I visited um, our, uh, my old church in, in London. Uh, and I saw one of the most encouraging signs that the church was alive and kicking. I mean, I thought that if I left, you know, that the whole thing would come, come down. But actually, that wasn't the case. It was alive and kicking very well. It was at a deli shop nearby the church, and I could recognize the person um, from, who was from that church. And he was meeting with another person, and he had this Bible open, and he was explaining what that Bible meant to that person. And, you know, if you know All Souls um, Langham Place in London, it's not a church that's known for sort of teaching on the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. But I know that that church is full of the Holy Spirit because it produces disciples who are devoted to the Scripture's teaching. That's what Spirit does. It makes us devoted as students of the Bible. That's one of the signs that the church is alive. So how, may I ask, on an individual level, are we devoted to the scripture's teaching, apostles' teaching? Are we, how is your Bible reading this year? Getting the truth, uh, getting to the truth of the Bible and then meditating on it throughout the day. Are we doing that? Are we growing in our love for this book? Individually and as a church. So that's one sign. And the second sign um, that Luke records here is that uh, the members share their lives together. They're devoted to the fellowship. And this can't just mean that they were a friendly church. The teaching on fellowship, it's much more radical than that. The word for fellowship here is a well-known word uh, you might know, koinonia. Koinonia. If you look down on verse 44, there is another word that has the same Greek root. It's a common, koinos. They held things in common. That's what koinonia means, that they were united. They held things in common. They held, first of all, their beliefs in common. They were united under the lordship of Christ. Secondly, they had a common mission to serve Christ. And the rest of Acts is unfolding uh, of that mission. 
And of course, they had their life in common. They shared their lives, and they worked at being that loving community. And I know that it wasn't an easy task for them. Remember, the 3,000 people who were converted that day, remember how many languages that they spoke. They came from all, all different parts of the Roman, uh, Roman world. They weren't just the same kinds of people who were uh, exactly the same with education level. Whatnot. They were all different people from all over the world. And 3,000 people then became a family that day. Um, they were baptized. Uh, verse 41, those who, were ex- who, accept- who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. And I think this is very significant, that this whole thing starts with baptism. They were baptized. They died and rose again with Christ. That means that they became family together on that day. People who are bound not only for their love for God, but their love for each other. When we need things, most of us run to our family, don't we? We have a saying for this, blood is thicker than water. They're the closest relationships. Really, if everybody follows where our friends follow our church family, I mean, they, it's, it's the family who we can count on. I think this is especially true in the Chinese family, but that's not the Christian belief. The Christian belief is that water is thicker than blood. Those 3,000 people from all over the Roman world became a family that day through baptism, through that water, and they became one, and it showed Look at the result of this in verse 44. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Doesn't that sound like family? When you need things, babysitting, money, or where where, where do you go? You go to your family. And you see here, that's the radical reconfiguration of our primary relationship that's happening right there in that church. Remember Jesus saying to the disciples, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, sister, and brother. That's, that's what's happening there. They became family on that day. And this certainly isn't communism, and people talk about communism here. It's not revolution by the proletariat against the bourgeoisie or redistribution of wealth. That's not what this was. This was an outpouring of generosity and reconfiguration of being a family. It's voluntary giving to anyone that they saw a need in the family. They did not consider what they had, their own private possessions, but something to be shared with others, that, others as they saw the need. I, um, I know this family in London, um, and this is what they did. They bought a car, and when they bought the car, they let the church, fam- uh, church uh, um, ministry, ministry staff know that they bought this car. And the reason why was because they wanted to share the car with the uh, uh, with the ministry staff and with anyone that we knew uh, had a need for a car for a day or two. And, you know, uh, uh, they bought the car to share it with others. Um, and when I borrowed, I borrowed a car uh, on, on a few, uh, the, the car on, on a few occasions, I was struck so much by their generosity because they insisted that I don't pay for the gas, uh, for, for the petrol. Um, they wanted to do that for us. All believers were together and had everything in common. Isn't that what that means? I know a missionary family um, who has a pool uh, in a fairly poor uh, neighborhood. And from outside, that might look bad. Oh, there's missionaries. They go to this poor country and they have a pool. But 
it's the most wonderful thing because they built it to share it. Share it with the people and the, the, the community that they run and the, the, the larger community, uh, the, the village. The kids were there all the time. People used it all the time. They managed it, but they didn't consider it their own. They came to share it. All believers were together and ha- held everything in common. So let me ask, who do you consider your family? When, do you, uh, when you have needs babysitting, things get broken down, when you need to move, when you need to talk to somebody. Living church is a church that's devoted not only to God, but also to each other in that sort of love. Of course, we don't do this perfectly. We're all sinners. But hospitality, generosity of money and time are at the heart of being community together, of being in loving relationship with each other. Do we depend on each other? Do we know the people who are sitting next to us? And if you're in links group, really, get to know your links group. This is one of the ways that we get to do this. Uh, you, you might sit next to different people each week, but you will meet the same group each week. Get to know those people. Be a community together. Be a family together. Do we know what their needs are? Can we help? Can we even offer to help? Do we believe that water is thicker than blood? So they devoted themselves to the apostle teach, apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and then to breaking of bread and prayer. And that's a worshiping church. Of course, the breaking of bread is the breaking of bread. It's a, it's, it's a communion and prayer. What this means is that they devoted themselves to joyful worship, and that was extraordinary. Once again, think about the descriptions in verse 46. Every day. They met together. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke uh, bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, all the people. They met constantly for this worship. They met every day together in the temple courts and at, at homes. They met everywhere um, as well. In the temple courts, they participated in the formal worship as, as we do on Sundays in the church. But their worship didn't end in the temple. They brought their worship to their homes. They went to their homes. They, uh, 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 they, over, uh, they went to their homes and broke bread and ate together. They took that joyful worship to their homes, to the small groups. They discussed and prayed together. And their worship is joyous. It's not something uh, that they had to do, but they were there, there together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. It was, there was joy there. And they didn't worship alone. Remember, we can't be solo Christians. The 3,000 people who were converted that, that day, they didn't just all go home um, uh, to their homes, um, to individual homes, to open up their individual Bibles, to pray their individual prayers. That's not what they did. They continue to be devoted to meeting with each other. God saves us so that we can be a part of the new community, new humanity that God is creating here on earth. I can't put it better than John Stott, so this is what he writes. We're not only Christian people, but we are also church people. We're not only committed to Christ, but we are also committed to the body of Christ. I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly, an unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. 
So let me ask you once again, are we committed to worshiping together? with other Christians. Does your corporate worship start, the, the thing that starts in the church, do you carry it back to your homes, into your fellowship with each other? Do we pray for each other? Do we meet with each other in our one-to-ones? Our, our, do our Sunday worship, I mean, is that a day just set apart, that's set apart that has no relationship with other days? Or is Sunday a time that fuel your worship of daily life? Every day, they continued to meet together in their temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Finally, as the members, um, as the members committed themselves to these things, God does his part, doesn't he? Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. No doubt that many turned to Christ because of their speaking of Christ. I mean, they were excited. They went everywhere, as we'll see. Um, wherever they go, they speak of Christ. They have this speaking ministry, and I don't want to discount that because the rest of the book really is about that. But this passage highlights the attractiveness of this community as the, main, as, as the reason for people's daily conversions. They were extraordinary apostolic teaching, authenticated by wonders and signs. There was this true fellowship, sharing of life together, of love, um, and, uh, and also worship, joyful worship in the temple courts and their homes. But people then noticed this community that was formed and how extraordinary it was. And they came to that church daily as they worshiped together, as they came together. They came daily and think about how difficult that might have been. I mean, it's hard enough managing a community of 3,000 people to share everything in common, to get to know all the needs and help to teach them, to disciple them. They could have said, you know, we're actually really big right now, and we're going to stop looking outward. We're, not, we're actually going to focus on ourselves. We're going to focus on our discipleship and the building people up here. But that's not what they do. They welcomed the new people, and the Lord added to their number daily. They made space for these new people. I'm tempted to do that. I'm tempted to go, ah, this is, actually, it's growing, and it's really great, but maybe we should really just focus on ourselves and growing ourselves. But that's not what the living church does. Living church looks outward. Living church exists not only for itself, but for the outside world, for the unknowing world, people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. That's why God is creating this community, and their eyes are always outward, uh, looking outward. So this is the final thing to look for as we discern whether the church is a healthy and alive and kicking church or a slowly dying church. Does it look outwardly, or does it just, is it focused on itself? It's just a nice clique, extraordinary community, but something that, uh, a community that doesn't welcome new people. That doesn't change with the new people coming in. Does it look outwardly? I don't know how you feel as we come to this text and to this sermon. I think to myself, is this even possible? To be a church in Hong Kong like this, when we're juggling our busy schedules and family obligations and the difficulties of life that's in us. But I assure you, this wasn't something that was easy for the early church either. And we'll see some of the conflicts that come in the coming weeks. But look at the hint of it in verse 42. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves 
to these things. It might have come naturally at first, but it didn't remain easy. They per- but they persisted in doing these things, even when things got hard. I'm about to get married, and so that's on my mind, and everything, yeah, I, I just think about married all the time. Uh, but I think this is a good analogy for this. You know, marriage starts out with a bang. You want, the couple want, uh, wants to get married. They're brimming with love for each other. I mean, just look at Mary. Just find Mary and look at her. <laughs> and me. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, Mary. Um, they make vow to love each other for the rest of their lives. Um, and, and, and at first, it, it comes easily because you want to do that for each other. But then soon after you get married, selfishness sets in. Other desires come in. Times are scarce. The energy isn't there, and it becomes difficult. But that doesn't mean that you're not married anymore. That doesn't mean that you should get divorced. Every married couple knows this. You have to devote yourself to marriage. You have to be devoted, and that's what marriage is. The thing is, Christians need to be devoted to being Christian. Being a church isn't easy either. The church needs to devote itself to being the church. To the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and prayer. And to evangelism. We need to devote ourselves to these things because it's not easy. But we're not alone. God sent the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. They filled, they, the, the, those small group of people exploded to be the, uh, the Christianity that it is today. And that power is with us. May the Spirit fill us that we may devote ourselves to these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the scripture, the Bible, that speaks uh, the living word to us. And we thank you that you have ordained uh, these words to be recorded as examples for us. Help us to be a church that's devoted to this book. And we thank you that we are not alone as you save us, as you bind us in a community together. Help us to be devoted to sharing our lives, to the fellowship. And help us to be reminded of what you do as we center ourselves in what you have done for us, in the breaking of bread. Help us to be a church that has this living and joyful worship. And help us never be satisfied with the people that's here. Getting to know the people here, the community that we are. But help us always to have one eye looking outward for the people who don't yet know you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may devote ourselves to these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.